Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello, and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, we have a special guest, Bert D. Mill. He is the president of BDM Consulting, and that is a San Diego-based consulting firm that works with companies who are in the biotech tools and clinical diagnosis spaces. They help smaller emerging technology companies to define their products, markets, and overall commercial strategy in order to win in the marketplace. They also provide outsourced support for rapidly growing mid-sized companies on new market research, product launch, and branding support. So we've got small and medium-sized companies here listening because Bert has some marketing information for you. Let's welcome Bert. Hi, Bert. Hi, Joni. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Great. I love the title of your podcast. Oh, thank you. It hit uh, a nerve for me because I consider myself still a nerd despite oh, all the business. Yes. Good. That's actually so I relish that. I like it. Okay. I ask that sometimes. Like, are you a nerd? I guess. So what of kind of course. nerd are you? And proud. Oh, so good. Oh, good. Um, yeah, it's a good place to be for nerds in San Diego. You bet. So, well, you are a scientist by training, telling us that you are a nerd. And, you know, what we actually met at the Rady School of Management, right? Uh, where we both were teaching business courses, and you teach, like, lots of real business. I teach more, like, assessment and psychology kind of stuff, but you're out mm-hmm. there doing marketing and all sorts of stuff. So I'd like to hear about your journey, and I'm sure the other folks, too, about your journey from science you know, nerd to now business nerd and a combination of both. Tell us a little bit about that. Right. No, I'd be glad to. Um, You know, and it is a journey. I think the way you asked the question, tell me about your journey. Um, My life really has, career anyway, has had uh, distinct chapters to it. The first one was I wanted to be a doctor. And at Rady, I work with a lot of students who are bio majors that say, gee, I want to go to med school. Well, that was me. I was the kid with the uh, one of the chemistry set in the microscope uh, when I was a little kid for Christmas. So I love science, and I loved it right through high school, right into college, went to the University of Maryland, uh, was a biochemistry, microbiology major, and really enjoyed that work, and then applied to med school and didn't get in. Oh, I love it. And that's such a healthy story. Tell us about- Well, that's where you have to capitalize on on that miss, right? So I said, okay, I'm going to keep trying. Um, I'm going to reapply again and see if I can get in. And, And meanwhile, I need a job, right? So I started working at Johns Hopkins Hospital doing cancer research, and mm-hmm. I did that for about three years. Kept trying to get into med school and was going back and forth. Do I get my MD? Do I get my PhD in pharmacology? And just really enjoyed the science and thought, that's the way I'm going to go. But then had a bit of an epiphany. Uh, I was presenting some lab data to the director of adult leukemia at Johns Hopkins, a very prestigious physician, Dr. Philip Burke. He said, Burke, good job. I love the data. I love your work. But you know what? you seem like you had a little bit more fun giving the presentation than you did doing the work. And I, and I kind of said, well, thanks boss. Bit of a backhanded compliment. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's interesting because you know, I do like the presentation piece of it. I do like talking about uh, the words. And I think my second hint was taking business classes at Hopkins uh, while I worked, uh, while I worked there and they were free. That was the, no, the nice part to be able to, to deal with that and free classes. So I took those and met a mentor from Merck 
Uh, and I felt business was like a duck swimming on the lake to me, right? It was simple. It was easy. So that's kind of how I ended up the, the failed scientist into a business guy. Then, of course, launched a career into sales, marketing as a general manager at big companies, small companies, and most recently with BDM Consulting. So I made that split, gosh, about 25 years ago and kind of didn't look back. But I still have a soft spot for the science. Really, really love it. But I love it in the business context. So for me, that was the that was the good fit. Yeah, that's excellent. I mean, it's you know, I mean, I actually talk to a lot of young people too, and young people listening in who are are thinking about moving forward in their careers. Just talking about the mistakes or the things that didn't work out uh, is so yeah. healthy. And I can tell you, all the leaders, you know, you know, even the technical ones who are willing to be vulnerable and talk about these things, I mean, that is a true leader. So thank well, you. Well, absolutely. And I, and I think, and this is something, as you mentioned, since you and I both teach, right, mm-hmm. is this, this failure is not a bad thing. Sometimes you learn a lot about yourself. Sometimes you learn that that direction you wanted to take that right turn was really a left turn. Mm-hmm. You should have taken. So I, that's the way you look at it. It's very hard when you're 20 years old. <laughs> yes. Right? It's kind of the end of the world, right? And it was for me at the time. Mm-hmm. But I think that change in direction, that's part of finding yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and we both, I know, encourage students to do that. I think it's part of that journey you talked about. Yeah, and the feedback, too. That was a critical piece of your journey is getting that feedback from your boss or, you know, a mentor, I guess you might even say. Sure. Yeah, and listening. Yep, absolutely, and paying mm-hmm. attention, not ignoring it. Interesting. Okay, so now we're going over to Vice President, Senior Vice President of mm-hmm. Sales and Marketing at Genoptics Medical Labs. Okay, so you were there, what, 2005 to 2010? That's right. A while That's ago. Right. Five so, years. Yeah, so you, um, you scaled revenues enormously from like $4 million to $184 million in five years. Yes. Okay, so tell us about that. How did you do that? I mean, I know you can't tell us the entire story, but give us the highlights. There are a few key highlights. One, it was like kind of running in a marathon with your hair on fire. Oh, my goodness. That's kind of what it felt like. But it was fun. It was fun because you were building something. And before Genoptics, I had the the, uh, pleasure and and the honor of working for GE Health and that that corporate culture. Learned a lot uh, about big companies and what a good company looks like and how it should run. I think that piece of it I brought with me to Genoptics is where I I looked at it and wasn't afraid of it because I used to tell people, hey, I've built a skyscraper before. I know what this is going to look like when it's done, right? So that confidence, I think, helped helped, uh, myself and the team kind of of work through some of the growing pains. But there were a couple key things I think we had at Genoptics. One was timing. I think all good businesses start with good timing. I think it's a great idea at a great time. And I think that's something you really can't plan for, but it's important when you, when, you, when you think about a business. Is it the right business concept at the right time? Is society ready for it? Are the customers ready for it? And I think a lot of, a lot of good businesses are the benefactor of that. But there are really three key things. Um, we knew who our customers were. Uh, at Genoptics, we talked to oncologists who at the time were getting lousy service from some of the large reference labs like Lab, LabCorp and Quest. Um, they weren't responsive. They weren't paying attention to the needs of the oncologists. And we said, wait a minute, we think we can step in and, and have some secret sauce here, as I called it. And it was simple. Give great service to an oncologist who had gone out into the community, who used to work in a hospital, and give him peer support from another physician, a collegial support in doing a difficult diagnosis. A lot of people don't realize doctors, when they go out on their own, 
it's hard, right? Because they've worked in a hospital setting. They have colleagues down the hall. Hey, Bill, can you help me out with this case? They have something called tumor board where they sit down and discuss cases of, of challenging patients. All of that is missing when you go out into the community and you run your own practice. So we said, we want to bring that back for these doctors. We wanted to give them a, a definitive diagnosis, a level of service that they weren't getting from the big box labs, if you will. And we focused on that pretty ruthlessly. Um, and I think stayed focused. We kept getting pulled back into the hospital and we repeatedly said, no, no, they're not our customers. We know who our customers are and we know who our customers are not, which is mm -hmm. incredibly important when you're a startup, right? Mm -hmm. And you have to know who your customers are, where that value proposition is going to resonate. So the customer focus was critical. We also surrounded ourselves with a fabulous team, people that knew finance, they knew accounting, they knew legal, sales, marketing. Um, the, the, the medical side of it, right? So I worked for a legendary CEO here in San Diego, Tina Nova. Tina's pretty well known mm -hmm. um, in the industry here, um, just an outstanding CEO. And she has the skills to bring the right talent in at the right time so that people can execute. And I think that's a takeaway, right? You can't be good at everything. So you're gonna have to rely on your team to make it happen. And I think we did a really good job of doing that at Genoptics. The last one is we measured things. We have metrics in place. This is really important, I think, when you scale a small company, kind of you're living hand to mouth, day to day when you're small, but being able to measure success, how many cases per day did the doctors send in? Are we up, are we down for the day? And don't look at it monthly, look at it daily, look at it weekly. When you have that rigor in place, you're able to scale that because you know what the wind looks like. You also can react to things when they aren't going as well as you would hope. So. Great team, customer focus, bring the resources in uh, that have expertise in the areas, the various areas of running a business, and measure it. Because if you can't measure it, it, it didn't happen. Uh. <laughs> so those, are, those are some GE-isms that I picked up along the way. Got to measure it, right? Yeah. Well, you obviously have a lot to say about the business side of it and a focused market niche and all of that. But I think one of the things that I'm more interested in here on our Reinventing Nerds podcast is the people side because you said something there that just got my um, right. ears ringing here about right. the team and getting the right team in place and tell us a little bit about that what does that mean and what does that mean to you as as a leader to not be like the one doing it all but actually getting others in to do it Joni that's a that's a great point and in the consulting business that I'm in now the business that I run I work with some incredibly smart people, PhDs, MDs. The talent is enormous as far as what I call their vertical, right? Their space. They know that enzyme or they know that diagnostic test like the back of their hand. But as we talked about earlier, it's very hard to be an expert in all areas. And I think one of the things I would encourage founders to do is not get caught up in what I call founder syndrome. Mm -hmm. and founder syndrome is it's my baby. I'm going to hang on to that all the way through. Mm -hmm. And I'm afraid to let anybody touch it because it's my child. And, and I think you and I know where that's going to go, right? I think most of the time it does not go to a good place. I think the, the founder is hesitant to bring different skills in, to bring different talent in, and they just don't want to let go. So one of the things I would recommend to entrepreneurs out there who are PhDs and MDs looking to start their own company is bring that talent in. Befriend some people that you can trust, that you can bring onto your team. They're going to give you advice. They're going to give you direction. They're going to give you financial rigor. Heck, a lot of these guys run out of money. 
quite frankly. Mm -hmm. They bring the money in, they don't manage it carefully, and then it's gone and they can't raise more. So that rigor and those skill sets, those are the things that are important for successful companies. So I would strongly encourage the entrepreneurs to know what they're very good at and know what they're not good at. And don't be afraid to bring those resources in to help you build your company. Yeah. I mean, one of the things I see, especially with entrepreneurs too, is feeling like you're always trying to impress people when you're right. trying to get funding, right? So you feel like you have to say you're good at everything, but acknowledging where your gaps are and finding people to compliment you is a great way to move forward in a very um, uh, rigorous way, as you said. It is. It is. Well, you uh, you said you do this with consulting. You work with a lot of scientists who are who have great ideas and who are moving forward with companies and and small companies and also mm -hmm. getting into medium sized ones. But what are the challenges that you see that these founders get into, like when when they when they aren't? I mean, what kind of people challenges are they having? There's a couple that I see that are common trends. I think I think one of them is is they love their data and they love their science and that's why we love them. That's why they're nerds, right? Mm -hmm. But what they're not always good at, and this is my whiteboard exercise I do with most of my clients, is I'll grab a, grab a whiteboard marker and I'll, I'll get a list together and, I, and I'll ask them point blank, why is what you have better than what everybody else has? Articulate that for me. Tell me exactly why. It's amazing they struggle with that a little bit. They say, you know, I never really thought of that. I never really compared it to current standards or the way customers do things today. And I said, well, okay, we have some work to do, right? We have some work to, work to create benefits because the benefits is value over, over, or value equals benefits over price. So if you haven't done that benefits over price calculation for whatever you're selling, mm -hmm. it's not going to ring through the value proposition. So they're not really thinking about value for their customers they often are also not thinking about who their customers are and what their pain point is. And I'm a huge believer in looking at pain from a marketing standpoint. Mm -hmm. What problem is the market struggling with right now? And if you walked in with a magic widget, would people jump up and down and celebrate and pat you on the back mm -hmm. if you gave it to them? How is it benefiting a customer? What kinds of customer or uh, kind of customers is it benefiting? And be able to articulate that in a very clear way because remember, the scientists have to also sell to bankers and lawyers and business people. Bankers and lawyers and business people don't understand polymerase chain reaction or genetics or genomics. <laughs> right. They don't want to. We love that stuff, mm -hmm. but they don't understand it. So be able to articulate your story in a very simple way that is really riveting mm -hmm. for the average smart person, but they didn't spend their time in bio lab and chem lab. That's mm -hmm. all. So those are some simple things that are often missed that, that I think um, the consulting firm and, and good people that you bring in from the outside can help you with. Yeah, well, sometimes it's hard. Uh, you also told me in the past for uh, these brilliant scientists to value those skills and think that they're important, uh, the people side of it. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if you've had any experiences that you'd like to speak to on that and how you've had to uh, talk to folks about actually seeing the value of either hiring somebody who is good at the storytelling part or the marketing or developing those skills themselves. Yeah, there's a couple of, I mean, the sales part of it, the business part of it for many scientists is dirty. 
I don't know how else to describe it. It's just, oh, that's that money stuff. <laughs> I don't want to deal with that money stuff. I want to deal with my science because it's pure and it's clean, mm. right? So I think first step is getting people over that. And it's kind of like, look, guys, I know you love your science, but somebody's going to have to write a check for it. Agreed? Yes. Agreed. All right. So what we're doing here is developing a model for you so that someone is going to be able to write a check for what you're selling. You can monetize your services and move that forward. I think the other thing that, that um, scientific people often overlook is there are bad salespeople and there are good salespeople. Right. I think in my career, I've had the pleasure because, it, because I, am a, I was a scientist, a bench scientist, at least anyway, for a while, to understand the science and what I call the domain knowledge. So in, in this business in biotech, I think it's extremely important to understand what goes on at the bench, what the pain points are from the workflow standpoint, from a bench scientist. And all the companies I've worked for, we've been very, very rigorous about training our sales team regarding how that product works and where it fits in at the bench. So they can have credible conversations with a PhD and be taken seriously. So I think many of them have not experienced quality technical salespeople who are very well trained. Mm -hmm. And I think once you introduce them to that training concept, that they're part of that messaging, I think they tend to get a bit more comfortable. Well, that is so interesting. So really getting the technical people on board with the training uh, to make sure that the salespeople are actually speaking to what the technology is about will help them feel more comfortable dealing with sales folks. That's right. That's right. And I think as long as they feel like that their science is part of that message, mm -hmm. they're not going to go off and say crazy stuff, quote unquote. Right. right. They're going to demean the science. And I think that's the concern for a lot of researchers is the integrity of the science and the message. So I think when they're part of that message, and I very often have MDs and PhDs involved in technical training in many of my commercial teams to help with the product positioning and the messaging, because they do speak doctor. We may be able to clean that language up a little bit, mm -hmm. but they, they do what I call speak doctor, which is speak in a way and position things in a way that the target audience is going to understand. So it's key to make them part of the process. Mm -hmm. I would think that gaining trust would also be good because one of the things that I was thinking of while you were speaking is that in addition to helping them with the technical messages about the products, they're also having the salespeople see the products and working at the bench there so they know what not to overpromise. <laughs> that's, that's right. Like, and, that's, and that's a big fear, Joni. You, you hit it. Is <laughs> That's the scientific integrity, right? And they right. don't want to overpromise. They don't want to say things about that product or service that are going to mm -hmm. undermine their credibility as a scientist. And I think that's mm -hmm. important. So, so I think if it's done well, it can be a very nice marriage. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So working together more, like maybe a little bit more face-to-face um, -face a little bit, even just to talk a through. Absolutely. And I'm a big fan of bringing some of the technical people, bench scientists and or MD, MDs out into the field to make sales calls. Yeah. I think it's just an eye opener for everyone, for the sales team, for the t for for the the physician working for the company, and for the customer. It's just a it's just a wonderful experience because you're showing that you you care enough to bring that technical expert in, and I think with a little bit of coaching and some communication skills from that technical person, you can kind of walk away, grab a cup of coffee, and I've done this many times, and the deal is done. Right, the deal is closed uh, yeah. because it was a scientist to scientist discussion, and they had credibility with each other. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense that uh, you bring in the the scientists, and they can actually um, 
talk about the specifics of it and let the salesperson just take a back seat for a second. That's right. Um, yeah. So, yeah and make them part of the process for yeah. sure. Well, it also seems like that would, I mean, you said it's a great marriage because then it brings back to the scientists what the customers are going through. Absolutely. And that's a great point, Joni. And I think that's, a, that's, a, that's something that sometimes is very difficult inherently for scientists to do. Some of them just gravitate immediately to it. Others may struggle with it. So I would strongly encourage that customer interaction. How do you use this product? Why? What problem does it solve for you? Ask those questions. And I think the downside of being, being uber smart, like a lot of people are that we're talking to today, is you tend to not want to ask those questions. They seem trivial or they seem mundane. Mm. Uh, but I think it's incredibly important to say, how did that help you? What would you change? What do you like? What don't you like about what we do? That's where the real power in, in field-based marketing comes from. In having technical people ask those questions, there's no better person to ask them because they're going to get great answers. It's just oh, training yeah. them to ask those kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. Well, that's really key. I like the way you put that, that it, it might seem trivial or obvious or something, but you never know when you do ask. These that's questions. right. Yeah. That's right. Well, I have a question for you. I mean, especially since you're teaching at a business school as well, but um, are more scientists getting training in business these days? Do you happen to know anything about that? I mean, you know, they, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, Joni. They, they are, and I strongly encourage it. The students that come through in my classes, one of the things I tell them is, hey, look, if you get your bio degree, that's fantastic. You may want to go get your PhD. Great. Congratulations. And then you get a PhD and an MBA and you run the biotech world. Yeah. Literally, it's your baby, mm -hmm. right? People that have those business skills and the domain knowledge in biotechnology in San Diego in particular can write their own ticket. So I think the smart ones are actually doing that. Mm -hmm. um, Postgraduate uh, work is one place to do it, uh, such, as, such as at Rady with our MBA program. But I'd like to see a little bit more involvement, frankly, at the undergraduate level. Right. One of the things that put me in that gee, I'm in a job I really don't like four years in because mm -hmm. I did not have the opportunity to explore when I was in college other areas like business. They tracked you, right? You were a bio major, never talked to the business people. You can't get into those courses. You're done. That's your, your train is going in right. that direction. I think what we're getting very good at at Rady is integrating those two. So you can be an engineering major. You can be a biology major, but you could also be a business minor mm -hmm. because people like me, who don't get into med school, and let's be honest, 80% don't, right? We just don't make it. It's very hard, as we know, to get in. We need careers. We need places to go. So having, having somebody that's been trained in business that understands the bench can go work for an Illumina or go work for a Genentech or, or a Lilly um, on their production floor making drugs. They can do downstream processing. They can work in regulatory. There are a number of lucrative careers in biotech where biology and business overlap that these students could be thinking about. So I think there's a lot more work to be done. I think we do a great job here in San Diego, better than most towns, but I still think there's a lot of opportunity to develop. Well, it also just seems like, I mean, I'm not a business person here, so correct me if I'm wrong, Bert, but a bit uh, less of an investment in your education. I mean, getting a PhD and an MBA is a lot of money, right? Uh, a lot of lost work time, right? So if you're getting classes at the undergraduate level and then you can hit the ground running or, you know, at least skip one of those degrees, yep. um, that would be a, a really good investment. 
it, it would, especially if we had something like a blended program where you could yeah. integrate those two together. Mm -hmm. uh, a PhD in, let's say, biotechnology itself, mm -hmm. not in a given, but biotech, general purpose biotech, um, drug development, let's say, mm -hmm. could be a really interesting opportunity. And I think the industry is mature enough today where those, those degrees would be incredibly valuable. So we're right on the edge. I think in the next five to 10 years, you're gonna see a lot more of that. Um, what we call a, and I don't mean to demean the PhDs at all with this, because I was gonna be one, remember, is that practical PhD. That PhD mm -hmm. that is designed more for business than it is for research and publications, let's say, which has been yeah. the traditional route as yeah. for a PhD. Interesting. Well, I want to make sure to leave a moment here uh, for you to be able to share your offer for consultation because you've said so much today and you have so many great ideas and so much to share with, with folks who are listening. I want them to be able to get in touch with you to get more. So tell us about your free offer for uh, a consultation with folks. Thank you, Joni. Appreciate that. It was great talking with you today. Um, they can reach me at BURT, B-U-R-T at BDM, B as in Boyd, D as in David, M as in Mary, bdmconsulting.org. Um, and what our firm specializes in is exactly what we've talked about today. PhDs, MDs who have a little bit of funding, proof of concept for their science has been completed, and they're ready for a commercial round. They're ready for typically what we call a Series B venture round, where they're looking to commercialize that, uh, that, that technology. So we help them with what we call the go-to-market strategy, customer definition, the benefits, the value, as we talked about, of their product, how they're going to differentiate it, and how they're frankly going to make money. Because the science is fantastic, but at the end of the day, it has to be a profit driver for that VC, right? So we help them tell their story so that it's compelling and interesting, and the VC wants to write a check and give them their next round of funding. That's the way it works. Well, I want to add on that it's not just any consultation. This is a whole hour of, of Bert's time. So he it offers is. an it's hour. One hour of my time just to assess kind of if I can help you. And if I can, fantastic. If not, it was, it was great meeting you. But, uh, you know, that one hour I think is important to make sure I can, can give you what, uh, what you need. Yeah, well, that's a lot of a lot of time. So uh, I think people should take advantage of it. And we'll have more of, of your contact information on the website. And um, yeah, this has been a great conversation. I think we've really great. filled the time up quickly, it seems. Um, so thank you, Bert, for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds. Absolutely. Thank you, Joni. It was a pleasure. Thanks. And thanks to our listeners. Uh, please don't forget to rate and review and subscribe and all that. And you can find us at reinventingnerds.com. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit reinventingnerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.